you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter number 12 for our message today. 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. I want to read for your hearing the first 10 verses. First, 2 Corinthians, I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. The Apostle Paul stating in this epistle, It is not expedient for me, doubtless to glory. I will come to visions and revelations of the Lord. I knew a man in Christ above 14 years ago. Whether he was in the body, I cannot tell. Whether he was out of the body, I cannot tell. God knoweth. Such an one was caught up to the third heaven. And I knew such a man, whether he was in the body or out of the body, I cannot tell, God knoweth, how that he was caught up into paradise and heard unspeakable words, which is not lawful for man to utter. Of such an one will I glory, yet of myself I will not glory, but in mine affirmities. For though I would desire to glory, I shall not be a fool, for I will say the truth. But now I forbear, lest any man should think of me above that which he seeth me to be, or that he heareth of me. And lest I should be exalted above measure, through the abundance of the revelations, there was given to me a thorn... In the flesh, the messenger of Satan, to buffet me, lest I should be exalted above measure. For this thing I besought the Lord thrice, that it might depart from me. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then am I strong." There is a statement that provides us with our text in verse number 9. The Lord said unto Paul, My grace is sufficient for thee. My grace is sufficient for thee. One of the first major problems to develop in the New Testament church was that of false prophets who claimed to be apostles. An example of that is in Revelation 2, verse 2. Let me relate it to you. It happened concerning the church at Ephesus. And there are seven churches in Revelation that are spoken of, and the Lord addresses each one of those churches. And to the church at Ephesus, he said this, I know thy works and thy labor... And thy patience, how thou hast not bear them which are evil, 
and hast tried them which say they are apostles and are not, and hast found them liars. The same was true in the Corinthian church. In chapter 11 of that second book to Corinthians, verse 13, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. Paul's apostleship was being questioned by the Corinthians. They were saying that Paul did not preach like an apostle, that he did not look like an apostle, and that he wasn't important enough to be an apostle. Thus Paul begins to defend his apostleship by bragging and by boasting. Notice this reference again in 2 Corinthians. Just turn the page over. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning with verse number 13. Paul says, For such are false apostles, false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, don't wonder about this, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore it is of no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as the ministers of righteousness, whose end shall be according to their works. I say again, let no man think me a fool, if otherwise yet as a fool receive me, that I may boast myself a little. That which I speak, I speak it not after the Lord, but as it were foolishly in this confidence of boasting, seeing that many glory after the flesh, I will glory also. Notice verses 22, 23. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? And notice the parenthesis, I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequent. In deaths often. And verse 30, If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern mine infirmities. Even the greatest preachers and prophets had their own shortcomings. And if you're looking for a perfect pastor, you'll never find one. We must never look to God's preachers as men who have achieved sinless perfection. They have weaknesses and they have faults just like anybody else. All Christians, all Christians still retain a fleshly nature that continually gets us into trouble and continually wars against the soul, preachers included. 
Even Brother James dropped this nugget in James 5, 17. Elijah was a man subject to like passions as we are. The Apostle Paul was no different. Though I believe he was the greatest apostle of all of them, and certainly the greatest theologian of all of them, Paul had sometimes clay feet. In our present scripture, we see that not only was our God's grace sufficient to save Paul on the road to Damascus, but it was also sufficient to keep him through the trials and temptations of life. The message this morning has three parts to it. Number one, Paul's problem. Did you know he had some problems? Paul's problems. Number two, Paul's preventative. Paul's preventative. And number three, Paul's perseverance. Paul's problem. He confessed he had this problem. In the first part of verse 7a... And then the first part of verse 11a, it reads like this. And lest I should be exalted above measure, I'm become a fool in glorying. Paul's rich background had a tendency to exalt him. When a man speaks well of himself, the temptation is to begin to believe it. Proverbs 27, verses 1 through 2. Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Let another man praise thee, and not thine own mouth. A stranger may praise thee, and not thine own lips. In other words, in East Texas language, stop blowing your own horn. I went to school with a young man. At that time, he's young. Now he's on up in years as I am. And uh, we were in studying for the ministry, and he made this statement, that, and I never will forget it. I want to share it with you. Uh, I, I, I think I shared it with you many, many years ago, but I haven't forgotten about him. He's one of those people you just can't forget about. He said, you know what, Brother Cozart? I said, what? He said, I I don't sing very well. And he was telling the truth. He really didn't sing well at all. He said, but I'll tell you, there's one thing I can do. I can preach like a train. And about the only thing I could figure out when I heard him was he made a lot of noise. But he really thought, he really thought he was God's gift to congregations. Because he was so good, he thought, in the preaching of the word. Now, you take, for instance, Paul's credentials in the book of Philippians, chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Paul's confessing to this thing about boasting from time to time. He gives us some of his credentials. In Philippians 3, verses 4 through 6, For though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, 
a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, blameless. Mentioned several things there. His educational background. I'm talking about the Apostle Paul. His educational background. He studied at the feet of Gamaliel. And Gamaliel was one of the greatest lawyers to ever live in that day and time. Few could hold their ground with Paul, having sat under this man's tutorship. Paul had a sharp mind, and he also had a sharp tongue. His moral background, he said, I want you to know I was a Pharisee. And the Pharisees obeyed the law of God. His morals were impeccable. He didn't preach one thing and practice another. His ancestral background, where did he come from? He came from the tribe of Benjamin. And Benjamin was the youngest son of the twelve sons of Jacob. I mean, he had a lot of class. Whenever you wanted to mention how important you were, you'd talk about what class you came or what tribe you came from. Came from the tribe of Benjamin. His religious background, if he was not a member of the Sanhedrin, he was well on his way to become one. He said, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And then his emotional background, he was extremely zealous Extremely aggressive. He rode a horse 150 miles from Jerusalem to Damascus to persecute the church. 150 miles on a horseback to persecute Christians. Now, the cause of that problem of boasting and bragging in the inner recesses of his mind that would come out from time to time, you find in verse number 1, And also in verse number 7, he says, It is not expedient for me, that word expedient means advantageous. It's nothing really life-changing about what I'm doing. It's not expedient for me, doubtless, to glory. I come to visions and revelations of the Lord. And lest I should be exalted above measure through the abundance of revelations and not the book revelation, singular, and not revelation, singular, anyway. Revelations. Paul was a man of many revelations and these revelations and visions promoted his self-esteem because others could not share in the same revelations that Paul had and the self-esteem and the self-confidence that he seemed to possess. Let's take a moment to look at some of these revelations that Paul had that were kind of ego-building. One was his unique conversion experience. His unique conversion experience. When many, many people are saved today and they're just as saved as Paul was saved by the grace of God, but not in the particular manner in which Paul was saved. Acts chapter 9, Paul was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord. 
And under the high priest, he went to the high priest, desired him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if any found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. He fell to the earth and heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. I have heard people relate how the Lord saved them. And he doesn't save everybody in a church service. Sometimes he serves people driving down the road. I knew a man one time who was a truck driver and he was a very wicked person, and he was driving down the road, and God arrested him and saved him as a truck driver. But I don't, don't believe I've ever heard anybody else talk about being saved like the Apostle Paul was saved on the road to Damascus, this huge light. He was knocked off, visibly knocked off of his horse, and he heard, not only heard the voice of Jesus Christ, but he saw the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ, and God saved his soul. His life was changed, was it not? You study the life of Paul. From that point on, his entire life was changed by that conversion experience. His unique classroom experience. What do you mean his classroom experience? Well, had to go to school, and where did he go to school and learn all these doctrines and learn all the different things that he needed to know in the book of Galatians? In my Bible, just one page over, chapter number 1, verse 11 and following, Paul said, I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. He did not go to college, and he did not go to the seminary, and he did not have further educational exercises. Read on. You have heard of my conversion in time past. In the Jews' religion, how that beyond measure I persecuted the church of God and wasted it, and profited in the Jews' religion above my equals in mine own nation, being more exceedingly zealous of the tradition of my fathers. But when it pleased God, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by His grace to reveal His Son in me that I might preach Him among the heathen, immediately I didn't check in with a local educational system. I did not confer with flesh and blood. I didn't talk to my mama and talk to my daddy and talk to my friends and say, well, what am I supposed to say when I get up and preach? Neither when I went up to Jerusalem to them that were apostles before me. I went into Arabia and returned again unto Jerusalem. And after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to see Peter and abode with him 15 years. Days. What am I saying? Not only did the Lord save him, but brought him down to Arabia where he was with the Lord for three years. And the Lord taught Paul everything theologically that he would ever need to know when he would preach the gospel. Now sometimes 
sometimes, lest I be misunderstood, uh, we live in a day when sometimes men will surrender to be a preacher. And this is characteristic of young men. Young men sometimes, they, they say, well, I, I believe that God's called me to preach. But I'm not going to go to school. I tell you, I want to get out there and just burn the bridges for Jesus. Well, you may burn a few bridges, but it's not for the Lord Jesus Christ. Going to school is a good thing. It's an humbling experience. It teaches one thing that all of us need to know, and that is we don't know smut. We don't know anything. But we begin to learn, and we begin to develop. School is a good thing. Well, I'll tell you, there was no actual school that Paul went to, but he went to the best of all. His teacher was the Lord Jesus Christ who taught him what he'd be preaching for the rest of his life. I tell you what, that kind of gave you the big head, don't you think? Say, well, who was your, your professor in, in seminary? Well, they called him Dr. Smellfungus. Huh? But if you ask Paul that, he said the Lord Jesus Christ. That kind of gave him a little edge, don't you think? And then not only his unique classroom experience, what about his unique visit to heaven? We've already read about it. Paul said, I knew a man, don't know whether it was in the body or out of the body. He was caught up into paradise, and he defines that paradise as the third heaven. And I saw things and visualized things that I was not permitted to talk about. And I came back to the earth. What qualifications to glory? I guarantee you, my dear friends, no other preacher in Paul's day, and I don't know of any preacher today, they could say, but I, I experienced that very thing. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. Now, let's look at Paul's preventative. By that I mean, what was it that prevented Paul from bragging, constantly bragging? This verse, in verse number 7, begins with, Lest I should be exalted above measure. Do you see that? Lest I should be exalted above measure. And it ends with the same thing, Lest I should be exalted above measure. Verse 7. And between those two statements is sandwiched something very, very important. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, the messenger of Satan to buffet me. I'm getting some feedback. I'm sorry. This is not a part of the message. Am I talking too loud? Am I not talking loudly enough? That'll help. Thank you. Thank you so very much. I appreciate that. Paul's preventative. There was given to me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger. No, the messenger. Now, that's very important. The article is important. It wasn't a messenger of Satan, but the messenger of Satan to buffet me. God gave Paul something to keep him humble. God, we all need a little help with that every once in a while, don't you think? If you know how to do something that nobody else knows how to do, you and I, we sometimes need a little coaxing from the Lord, a little example from the Lord, a little dose of medicine from the Lord that will keep us from bragging about it. 
Notice that this gift came from God. It did not come from the devil. It was the messenger of the devil, but it came from God to the Apostle Paul. Now this gift here is a Greek word, skolops. Skolops translated thorn. In some cases it's translated stake. But I think that it fits more reasonable here that it was a thorn, a huge thorn, a painful thorn, a splinter that God sent to humble the Apostle Paul. Quite often, a splinter is invisible to others. I mean, you usually don't go around unless you're going to the doctor about it to talk about sharing information on the splinter that's in your finger or in your arm or wherever it might be. Other people don't know the splinter's there, but you know it. You know it. You know where it's located, and you know you can't get it out. It's there. Notice also a thing about the splinter, this thorn in the flesh. It's not fatal. It's not to take a person's life, but it is painful. It reminds you of its presence sometimes when you're dressing. It reminds you sometimes when you're driving your car. It reminds you sometimes when you pick up a glass of water, but it's constantly there. And it thirdly impedes progress depending on where that splinter might be. You never can forget that it's not there. It'll always let you know the splinter's still there. And God gave to Paul this thorn in the flesh. This constant nagging, this splinter. I believe it's called the same thing in Ephesians chapter 6 verse 11 as the wiles of the devil, the tricks of the devil. It was located where? In Paul's flesh. The Greek word there is S-A-R-X, sarks. Now the body in the Greek is soma, soma, S-O-M-A, but it's different from the flesh, which is sarks. And many times it is used in an evil sense. A moment ago you were there in Galatians. Look at chapter number 5 of Galatians. Chapter 5 of Galatians. Verses 16 and 17. Flesh. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the sarks, the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary the one to the other, watch this church, so that you cannot do the things that you would. Have you ever wondered why your prayer life is a little skimpy? Have you ever wondered why you'd never have time to read your Bible? Flesh. 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 
verse 19, in case you don't know what the flesh means there. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom. The thorn seems to have been more moral in Paul's life than the physical. It wasn't so much that it brought him physical pain, it brought him spiritual pain. There have been those to offer opinions as to what the thorn in the flesh was. Shall I mention two or three quickly? Some seems to think that it had to do with Paul having an impediment in his speech. That he either maybe slurred on some words or maybe repeated the thing over and over again, whatever it was, an impediment in this slow speech, in other words. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, you need to turn to that, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 10. Look down at verse 10. For his letters, that is the epistles that he wrote, say they are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Some, when they would listen to the Apostle Paul, thought of it as being a contemptible thing. I don't believe that, but it's interesting for conversation. Some believe that his thorn in the flesh was his shortness of statue. Now, I never saw him. And you haven't either. One day we will. But Paul was a short man. Tradition seems to indicate that he was less than five feet tall. And uh, you don't want a preacher to be too short because he loses his punch when he preaches. Okay? Shortness of stature. This is a reason why his mother gave him a Gentile name. Do you know what his Hebrew name was? Saul. Saul. You know what his Gentile name was? Paul. In the Greek, Paul means diminutive of stature. He was a runt. Maybe that was his thorn in the flesh. I don't believe so. Good for conversation. And then there are some who believe that he possibly had an eye disease. Maybe something like ophthalmia. Paul frequently used secretaries to write some of his epistles and made known that I did not write this, but I got this brother to write for me. The identification is not known for certainty. I want to make that statement again. The identity of Paul's thorn in the flesh was and is not absolutely dogmatically certain. You have your ideas, I have my ideas. If Paul had identified it, only those with it could find comfort. But because we don't know what it was, 
we can apply our personal thorns to his and find comfort in the grace of God. Know this much, it came at the hands of the messenger of Satan. Some believe that the thorn was a demon sent by Satan. I do not hold to that. I did for a while in my ministry. But I've come to believe that the thorn in Paul's flesh was the messenger of Satan himself. Satan was the messenger. Satan was the messenger. The messenger, not a messenger, but a messenger. Not a messenger, but the messenger. Messenger is angelos, or angel. Paul spoke on how to defend from Satan with the armor in Ephesians 6. We won't take the time to go there. But he says, put on the whole armor of God that you may stand against the wiles of the devil. Actually, the thorn was Satan. That's my opinion. The thorn itself was Satan. As he would work on Paul... But remember, he also worked on Brother Job. Did he not? That in itself is a sermon. Christ even worked on Peter about this. Do you remember during the ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ, Simon Peter and Christ mentioned he would go to Jerusalem and there suffer? Simon Peter said, it'll never happen. I'll take care of you. And the Lord said to Simon Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Simon Peter had this thorn in the flesh. And that thorn was Satan using him to discourage him and to depress him and even to correct the Son of God. Came at the hands of the messenger The evil spirit, or Satan himself, actually buffeted Paul. He was continually slapping Paul down, time after time after time. As I said, Satan did the same thing with Job. There were a few high moments in the book of Job, but more low moments. Every time Job turned around, it was a hardship. Lost all of his wealth, lost all of his friends, lost all of his family, lost this, lost that, lost the other, day after day after day. And the thing, same thing happened with Peter. Now let's look at Paul's perseverance. How did he handle this? It drove him to his knees. Paul was humbled by it. And we should praise God for anything that drives us to our knees in dependency on God. Much of the time we try to work out the problems ourselves, And the problem just gets bigger and bigger. Paul realized his absolute nothingness in verse number 11 of our text. It says, I am become a fool in glorying. You have compelled me, for I ought to have been commended of you, for in nothing am I behind the very chiefest apostles, though I be nothing. Was it not this same Paul who said of the apostles, I'm the the last, I'm not the first. And was it not 
this apostle who said, I'm chiefest of sinners, chiefest of sinners, Paul realized his nothingness. You can measure a man's greatness by his nothingness. It did not enlarge Paul, but it rather reduced him. One of the greatest statements that John the Baptist ever said, he said it about Jesus Christ. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. He must become larger and larger. And as a believer, I should become smaller and smaller. Paul realized his nothingness. And then Paul realized that God's grace was sufficient He prayed three times for it to be removed. But God would not do it. I hope maybe you have prayed in that light sometime in your prayer life. Something that was continually bothering you and said, Lord, take it away. Take it away. But he didn't do it. Now, it's not that he does not love you but he wanted to give you something better than taking it away, and that's to give you the grace to live through it. And that's why he left it for Paul. To live through something is often better than to be delivered from it. Because the more you overcome it in your life in living through it, the stronger you get in the grace of God. Fanny Crosby had a thorn of the flesh. Hers was blindness. She was born blind. But you know what? She found that the grace of God was sufficient even in her blindness. She's written many of the songs and hymns we sing in our church services. I love this one. A wonderful Savior is Jesus my Lord, wrote Fanny Crosby. A wonderful Savior to me. He hideth my soul in the cleft of the rock where rivers of pleasure I see. And there she was stone blind. God gave her abundant grace to face the problem that she was in and that was seemingly holding her back. William Cooper had the thorn of insanity. They accused him of losing his mind. Locked him up in a jail cell. And the jail cells back then didn't have colored television, dear friend. I mean, it's a tough go. Just an old, cruddy jail cell. And he found a little stone and he began to scratch something on the wall. Every day while he was in that jail cell, Cooper, Cooper, wrote, 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 and when he was finally taken out of the jail cell, they looked on the wall, and you know what they saw? These words. There is a fountain filled with blood drawn from Emmanuel's veins, and sinners plunge beneath that flood, lose all their guilty stains. And God's people have been singing that hymn in Christian churches Ever since, he learned to live through it, not have it taken away from him. I do not know the accuracy of this, but it's good listening 
I was told, and I have read, that Charles Spurgeon had a thorn in the form of a gout. And that gout continually prevented him from doing physically some things he wanted to do, walking without limping and things of that nature. But you know what? I do not know of a greater preacher than Charles Spurgeon on the grace of God. Read his sermons. He learned to live with it. With it. Paul learned to rejoice over adversity. Look at verse 10 once again of that 12th chapter. Therefore I take pleasure. Now we perhaps understand that better if instead of taking pleasure he continually griped all the time. Nobody has much problem as Paul did. I just want you to know how am I doing today? Worse than yesterday. No hope for me. Huh? But he said, therefore, I take pleasure. That's hard to do, especially when it has to do with infirmities. Infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distresses for Christ's sake. For when I'm weak, that's when I am strong. Look at those very quickly. Number one, I've learned to rejoice over infirmities. You know what infirmities are? It's overcoming sickness, overcoming pain, mental pain, physical pain. The infirmities that you and I encounter on our journey through life as human beings, infirmities. That's not funny. That's real serious. It's all right for other people to get sick, but I don't want to get sick, and I don't want this. And and there never has been such a worldwide uh, preventive effort to do something about COVID-19. Everybody's scared to death, and rightly, in some reason, should be. This is a terrible, it's a pandemic. But we can live through it. We can live through it. Infirmities. I put this note down and you might just weigh it. You might want to put it down on your Bible page. I don't know. The only missionary I know anything about that wherever he went, he took his personal physician with him was the Apostle Paul. Who was his personal physician? Luke. And Luke was always at Paul's side because of the many infirmities that he had. Paul said, I will glory in my infirmities. There were many times when he didn't want to get up. There were many times when he didn't want to go, didn't want to do, didn't want to be, didn't want to see people. There were times, my dear friends, when he was tempted to quit, but he never did because God's grace was with him in his infirmities. God's grace was with him in reproaches, overcoming insults. Paul was called a hypocrite. He was called a fake. Many churches wouldn't listen to him because they said, you can't be a real true apostle of Jesus Christ. But God's grace was, I think about. Arthur Pink is a good example of this. Arthur Pink 
in the early part of his conversion, the early part of his life, was to be found in churches. But Arthur Pink began to preach some things that the churches couldn't put up with. They were called the doctrines of grace. And it got so bad that they didn't want him in the church. And he lived most of his life at the end and toward the end of his life, apart from the church. But he started writing, writing, writing. And that's why some of the best writings on the grace of God are available today. Because of Arthur Pink, he learned to live through it. And then necessities. I take pleasure in necessities. What are necessities? Well, you ever get hungry? Got to get, got to get something to eat. You ever get cold? You got to have clothes to put on. You ever get tired and sleepy? You got to have a place where you can go and get out of the shelter and, and things of that nature. Paul was continually facing those things. But he said, I rejoice in it. I take pleasure in my necessities. You know, Paul, when he became a missionary, he didn't have a home church taking care of his expenses. He had to learn how to make tents in order to supply his physical needs. And there was only one or two churches at the most who ever began to really support the Apostle Paul. Think of that. And he said, I take pleasure in it. I take pleasure in it. And then he said, I take pleasure in persecutions, overcoming assaults. Satan was after Paul. Satan was after Job. Satan's after you and he's after me. And will reach us any way that he possibly can. I take pleasure in distresses, overcoming problems. Paul faced many detours and closed roads in his ministry. Even on that boat, he faced the hurricane Eurocladon. And while it looked like God was going to tear that boat all to pieces, Paul went down in the hull of the ship and he came out with a smile on his face. He said, I've just heard from heaven and it's all right now. God's going to be with us. And nobody lost their life aboard that ship because he could take pleasure in distresses. God's grace has not diminished, dear church, in Tyler, Texas. God's grace has not diminished. It is so multifaceted that it cannot be adequately defined. And it is not just limited to saving grace. There is living grace. God gives us living grace to live. Don't quit. Don't give up. You can live. You can combat it. You can, not in the strength of your own flesh, but in the grace of God you can do that. It's called living grace. He gives us dying grace. And how many have found this only to be true at the moment and the time when they're getting ready to leave this life? How wonderful it is to have dying grace. Dying grace. There's loving grace. You know what that means? That means you can love some people you can't stand. Hmm. Yeah. You say, well, boy, who's preacher talking to? One wearing your nose. We got people in our minds that we don't like too well. Maybe we need to exercise a little love toward them. He gives us loving grace. He gives us restraining grace. 
to keep us from the things that we should not be doing. He gives us encouraging grace. And this comes many, many times during the midnight hours when you wake up and everybody else is asleep and you don't know why you can't sleep. God's giving you a little grace there. You don't have to worry about the phone. Nobody's going to call you at that ungodly hour. Just you and the Lord. And there you lay in the bed and your eyes are this wide and everybody else is snoring. So, well, boy, I wish I could sleep like that. No, God wanted you awake because you needed something at that hour that nobody else needed and could get for you. You needed it and he was right there with you giving it to you. If you can see that. If you can see that. And then there's persevering grace. It's the acid test of salvation. Show me a person today who does not persevere and I'll show you somebody who's never been saved by the grace of God. He will not only save us, but he'll keep us going until the day of our appointment with him. So I close this morning. Whatever you need, whatever your problem, his grace is more sufficient to meet your every need It's not distributed before you need it, but it'll always be right on time when you need it. Let's stand, please, for prayer.